I'm Tony Rivera, and I'm the Managing Director of Azure Minerals Limited, an ASX-listed company. We're focused on exploring and developing our nickel and copper sulphide deposits that we've identified in the northwest part of Western Australia. Tony, thank you for the introduction. Nice to meet you. Looking at the share price for Azure Minerals, you had uh, a fantastic uh, price run up when you had uh, the discovery at, um, at Andover and the, you, you pivoted from Mexico to Australia. Um, but the share price has come off since then. Could you just talk about uh, your kind of share price performance just just very briefly before we get into the technical aspect of the interview. Yes, certainly. Um, I think that uh, when we initially announced the discovery of the Andover nickel mineralisation, uh, it was at a time when uh, the nickel market was running really hot and there was a very large degree of uh, super excitement, uh, probably over, over exuberance, if you like, and that certainly sent our share price uh, way up. Um, but as you said, it has come back down now, and it's it's probably overshot on the downside, and and somewhere in between the highs and the lows is where we should be at the moment. But uh, we did hit a dollar, and we we went back down to below twenty cents. We're up at about thirty cents share price today, so um, it gives us a market cap at the moment of about ninety to one hundred million Australian dollars. Thank you. It, it, that's a good um, frame of reference. Um, and the market is quite tough at the moment. Um, I've always felt that. The only thing that can, can really cut through a uh, a downturn in the market or kind of a uh, a bear market, it's it's funny to be talking about a bear market when the when the long term fundamentals or the demand side for metals like nickel or copper is so strong. But we are in a bit of a bear market, and the only thing that can really cut through that is an expiration story. What's your heritage as an exploration company, please? Okay, well, if I go back just one probably one step before this company was founded. Um, I've been working as an exploration and mining geologist for uh, over 40 years now. And in that time, I've had uh, quite a few successes and uh, I've discovered either personally or, or led teams that have discovered um, gold and nickel deposits, which have become operating mines. So I've got quite a, a good success rate behind me. And probably the most famous of those was um, in 1997, when myself and another geologist were the two ge geologists who discovered the Cosmos nickel deposits. In um, near Leinster in Western Australia, and and uh, and the open pit part of the uh, the length of the uh, Cosmos deposit uh, was at one stage the highest grade open pit nickel mine in the world. Um, and it's then there was other deposits we discovered next door and underneath, and it operated for uh, for probably about fifteen years. Uh, was bought out by Extrata, then became Glencore. Have recently sold it, and uh, it's now uh, it was on care and maintenance for a while, and it's back into operations again. So to have something like uh, the Cosmos nickel deposits on my resume is a is a real kudos because this is a forty year mine life that that project's having. So when I left um, Jubilee Mines, who had the Cosmos project, and we set this company up, um, we, we actually tried something different. We went to Mexico and we were looking for epithermal style gold and silver and also uh, porphyry copper mineralization. We had some good success there, but in terms of making new discoveries, but we we're never quite big enough or good enough just to get it over that hump into the development and production stage. And, um, and then we discovered a, a, a very nice uh, high grade, uh, massive sulfide zinc lead silver deposit that was outcropping at surface. And in 20, 2019, we went into small scale production and processing at a nearby processing facility. Um, unfortunately, at that time, the zinc price absolutely crashed and uh, mm -hmm. came straight after the turn of the year. Uh, it was early 2020 and COVID came along and, and we decided that uh, 
we'd better put everything on care and maintenance for a while so we could see what happened. As it turns out, we, it was about the right time for us to exit Mexico. So we had everything on care and maintenance. We kept a small team in place of local uh, technical and administrative people. We pivoted back to Australia and we, we were looking for assets back here. Uh, we, we ended up doing a deal with um, one of Australia's best uh, known prospecting, successful prospectors, Mark Creasy. Mm. And uh, he had the Andover Nickel Project. He'd had it in his portfolio for about 20 years and had done very little work on it. So two years ago, we closed the deal with him. We bought our 60% outright. It wasn't an earn-in joint venture. So we, we bought the 60% for shares in our company, which gave him a shareholding of about 16% of us. And uh, we started exploration and, and we've been drilling continuously for uh, for the last two years. And in fact, we hit the nickel sulfide mineralization at the end over deposit with the very first hole we drilled. So you can say so that's another discovery. And, and there's several others that we've made on the Andover project as well. What what work, you said very little work had been done by the Creasy Group. Um, what work? He'd owned, had... he'd owned it for about 20 years. Um, and in that time, it was about every four years, he'd go and do a little program. Uh, he'd flew a, a, an airborne EM survey, a VTEM survey, and magnetics as well. And then a few years later, he went and did uh, his people, his team went and did some surface mapping and sampling and identified some um, low-grade outcropping uh, nickel mineralization. Then they did some more detailed geophysics and had a target to drill. And they drilled a, they drilled seven holes in in 2018, and and two of the holes hit uh, some pretty interesting um, nickel grades near surface. Um, but at the same time as he intersected that, uh, that, that nickel mineralization, he had a much larger success elsewhere on one of his other projects in the Fraser Range area near Nova Bollinger mine. Mm, yeah. He uh, he had he decided that he didn't have, have enough funding to to do both projects, so he focused on this other one, and, and Andover was put on the shelf. And so when I came looking for projects, he knew obviously my background as in successful nickel exploration, and so he offered this project into the company. We did the deal, and we went out there, and, and funnily enough, we went to the very first area where he had drilled. He'd put two holes into a into a target, and he had hit uh, a, a couple of metres of sort of 1% nickel, and we did a detailed uh, surface fixed-loop EM survey over that particular target. We got a really good anomaly. We pivoted the drill rigs 90, 90 degrees from the direction he drilled, and we hit the Andover deposit with the first hole. And we've Hang been on. drilling. <laughs> so, yep. so, so, so just let's, I just want to go back. So um, you had their geophysics, you had some ge some geochemistry, you had a couple of drill holes, and you went back and to just talk me through that fixed loop detailed EM survey you did. What line spacing were you doing and kind of how, you know, how to, why that? Well, we, we did the survey, the EM survey in that location for two reasons. There was a very attractive uh, VTEM conductor that uh, was was strong, indicating near-surface mineralisation. When we went onto the ground into the area where he drilled his first two holes, there's a very large gossan sticking out of the ground, and it's um, probably of the order of several hundred metres long, maybe 200 metres long by 20 metres wide. Um, and when we took the samples and assayed them, that was highly anomalous in both nickel and copper. We're talking 1% to 2% nickel in the gossan and, and up to 3% copper. And you could see the visible copper oxide and copper carbonate mineralization there the amalekite and azurite and um so we had we had the vtem conductor we had the outcropping gossons we then went and did the fixed loop survey over the top of it 
50 metre space lines over there. We've got a, a very strong conductor starting at about 50 or 60 metres below surface. And as I said, we, we his direction was basically drilling due east and we, we turned around and we drilled due south. And, so, uh, and we get the mineralization. What's what, what direction does the Gossen run? The Gossen runs uh, in a in a sort of a northwest to southeast direction. So he mm, he nearly just... he just basically skimmed the edge of the mineralization. Okay, so you drill south and looking. I've I've seen a couple of your maps and they it looks as if these bodies do run east west. And so he effectively drilled parallel to strike. Correct. Yes. And. and uh, and, and and what is the geology? I mean, are these? Um, well, tell me about the geology. Okay, so certainly the, the geology is. Um, this is a layered mafic ultramafic intrusion. So it's a magmatic nickel copper sulfide mineralization within it. The the Andover intrusion itself is is quite large. It's it's probably about twenty kilometers by ten kilometers in superficial outcropping area, and. Um, it's made up of multiple intrusions that have gone into the same to make up that same body. The mineralization itself is hosted in the very last intrusion that crosscuts everything that went in earlier. So there's some there's a couple of very large um, structures that crosscut through this area, southeast, to, sorry, southwest to northeast orientated structures, and up one of those has come this very late stage gabbro, and this gabbro has uh, a it's a it's a taxitic gabbro, so it contains clasts of other other rocks that are uh, in the area. So um, basement granites, um, some of the ultramafics and, and gabbros from the the earlier part of the Andover intrusion. But what it's done is that it's scavenged all of the nickel. It's scavenged a lot of nickel out of the surrounding ultramafic, and has become fully sulfur saturated, and the and the nickel sulfides have dropped out. At certain locations along this this structure and the and the taxitic gabbro, and this we've we've done a, a deep a very detailed geology over four kilometres of strike, and that taxitic gabbro has got outcropping gossens all the way along it. Not one single body, but multiple uh, examples of of outcropping gossens. When you talk about the scavenging of the nickel into this taxitic gabbro is, is there kind of sulfide emissibility that creates the, the concentration of the sulfides or is it something different to that it's not a it's not a kind yeah. of partial it's not yeah, fractionation the, within the melt no it's not a fractionation thing. it's not it's not a typical um layered intrusion where the, the sulfides have, have settled out uh, and by yeah. like gravity gravity separation no what's happened here is that the, the sulfide mineralization accumulates in areas where there's a slight structural complexity for example the taxitic gabbro may bend it may go may change direction and on the corner of those where it actually bends around you get a, a preferential deposition of the uh, of the nickel sulfides or alternatively it could be a cross-cutting structure or fault plane fault zone and and we get the nickel sulfides dropping out there as well so you along the straight and narrow there's there's some occurrences but when there's some com complexity that drop that's that triggers the uh, the settling out or the dropping out of the nickel sulfides. So it's not a change necessarily in the in the in the chemistry, or it could be no. in the chemistry. So it's a pressure change. So the, you're really talking. I mean, your sulfides yes. will precipitate because of either temperature, pressure, or chemistry. And yep. in this case, it seems to be that pressure is the the pressure change is the most likely um, catalyst. So it, it uh, 
typically um, where this this taxidic gabbro and the and the corridor in which it's travelling changes direction. Now, immediately <clears throat> to into the foot wall of the Andover deposit, there is a granite, and that granite is actually older basement. And so, when that taxidic gabbro comes up to and comes into contact with the granite, it changes direction and it wraps around this granite batholith. And it's as it changes direction going around the granite that the, the nickel has settled out actually uh, at the change of direction. Okay. Give me, a, could you pull up a map so, so I can get into m- my head the kind of the, the, the scale between what you've drilled out at Andover and what, where you can see the, the four kilometers of the, uh, of the taxitic gabbro. Have you got some Definitely. kind of map that shows that? So this is a, this is a, a very schematic geological plan of the uh, of the Andover project area, which is th- made up of three exploration licenses that are outlined in blue, and they um, total about 108 square kilometres within that uh, within the project area. And you can see on the the bottom left hand side in the southwest corner, there's a small granite, and wrapping on the, around the northern side of it is a dark green rock unit. That dark green rock unit is the taxitic gabbro, which has come up along a, uh, a corridor uh, and it has de- deposited the uh, the sulphide mineralisation at various locations. So the Andover deposit is located on the northeast corner of the granite and the ridgeline deposit is is being um, deposited along the northern boundary of that granite. Mm-hmm. So that, that taxitic gabbro is, is part of what we call the southern mineralised corridor from the ridgeline deposit up through those other prospects to skyline and sea view that's about four kilometers long and we've done a, a great deal of very intense geological mapping sampling and geophysics mostly em survey uh, surface em surveying there and we've got a lot of outcropping gossens uh you can crack fresh rock and you can find copper sulfide mineralization within those fresh rocks and then as it goes from Seaview further to the northeast, it seems to open right out. Now, the same taxitic gabbro continues for at least another six to eight kilometres further to the northeast. So the old, the entire mineralised corridor is is likely to be sort of ten to twelve metres, sorry, ten to twelve kilometres long. Um, so that seems to that's the that's the, the that's the dotted green line kind of opening up as a funnel. That's the kind of the Correct. inferred yeah, min- exactly mineralised right. corridor. So um, we've got targets like you. We've called them uh, either names in the bottom, in the in the sort of the southwest quadrant, or um, VTEM conductor anomalies, VC twenty four, thirty one, thirty two, and the like. Um, and most of those are in that uh, that um, mineralised corridor, if you like. And all of those are coincident Gossens outcropping sitting over the top of basement hosted VTEM anomalies. Okay, really interesting. Um... I can see that you've got those lithium pegmatites in the red there, but let's save that for another uh, section. Um, just okay, sticking... I might just uh, just jump in on one thing that's that's really not a great doesn't have a great deal deal to do with the prospectivity of the project area, but out of interest's sake, we decided we would age date the mineralisation at Andover, and and so we took the uh, the, the sulphide mineralisation and the rocks hosting the sulphides. And we had it age dated at uh, the Curtin University here in Western Australia. And, and they've come back uh, using two different techniques and they've come back with a, an age date for the mineralising event at Andover of 3.016 billion years. So 3 billion, 16, 160 million 
yeah, three billion and sixteen million years. So it's over three billion years old. The mineralization and the um, that makes it the oldest known magmatic nickel sulfide deposit in the world. Well, three billion years old. I mean, it's just totally incredible, and that's that's very much why I love geology. Um, Talking, I mean, you say that it's been sitting there, kind of intact uh, and underformed, just waiting to be discovered. Have you done any petrographic studies? Have you done any metallurgical work? You know, what does it look like? What's the grain size? What are the what are the minerals? Okay, well, the, the minerals are the, the nickel sulfide is pentlandite, which is also cobaltiferous. So there's cobalt within the pentlandite. Um, the, chalk, the copper mineralization is chalcopyrite, and the only other sulfide we see in there is pyrotite. Um, so those are the three sulfide minerals. Um, we have done a, a fair amount of uh, uh, metallurgical test work on it. We've done a lot of work on the Andover deposit, and we've done some work, preliminary work, on the Ridgeline deposit. What we're looking at here is a standard crushing, grinding, flotation process, filtration to produce two different concentrates. One would be a, a nickel cobalt concentrate, and the other one would be a copper concentrate. Uh, we're looking at, um, in terms of the nickel, we're, we're getting about 80% uh, recovery of the nickel and the cobalt into the concentrate. Um, and uh, the, the nickel grade would be around about 13 to 14% in the con. And, and the, uh, the cobalt concentrate, cobalt grade in the concentrate will also be about 1%. So that's the, that's the nickel cobalt con. And with the copper con, it's, it's much the same. We get about a 77% recovery into a concentrate that's running over 25% copper. Uh, and that they separate out really nicely between those, those two elements. Um, and, and we don't see, there's no nasties in it, no deleterious elements, a very low MGO. There's no arsenic, no, no other of the, um, the nasty elements that you sometimes get. So it's, it's a very clean rock and it's, uh, it, treats really well and it, it produces two great concentrates um grain size i mean how how, how you know what's uh, it varies it, some of it's um quite coarse grain but that's probably because there's been a little bit of uh recrystallization or maybe remobilization into uh fractures that are and veinlets that are running across it but most of it is quite fine grain so we're looking at in terms of the um the grind size we're looking at around about 80 micron for the grind size to get the best recovery yeah because those recoveries are good but they're not kind of completely stellar you know no. they're not no yeah that's right and um and yeah, and, 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 and it's sorry just it, it, is that a function of um grain size the yes, main challenge there, there, is, there is if you get the finer grain size you go obviously we're going to get better recoveries because there's there are some very fine grained sulfide um parts of the body but or well, mostly because in the, in the disseminated section so Best recoveries, probably as you'd expect, are in the massive and semi-massive sulphide zones. When you go out into the surrounding disseminated mineralization, then there are parts of that which is quite fine-grained, and that's where we lose a bit of recovery. Thank you. Now, when we were looking at the map, you um, you showed me that the, there was the Andover and Ridgeline, and then the kind of the, the funnel up to the to the to the north uh, east. Um, yeah. How much drilling has been done on that first kind of two or three four kilometers within that? the that the texitic gabbro areas yeah uh, very little we just a little bit of background i suppose we drilled just over 100 diamond holes into the andover deposit we drilled about 60 drill holes into the ridgeline deposit and we've drilled a total of 190 so far so there's about 30 holes that are outside of those two deposits and and for example the uh, we've drilled holes into what's skyline and sea view which are in in prob all probability the, the one and the same 
body of mineralization. And we've also drilled some holes into what, what we call pipeline, which is up in the far northwest of mm. the property area. And it's not that one's not in that uh, mineralized corridor. It's it's completely separate. It happened to be a a coincident um, uh, some surface geology or sampling of the surface geology gave us some elevated uh, PGEs and nickel. So we went up and, and did a survey up there, EM survey, and, and got a um, very nice response. We've drilled some holes there. We have yet to go public with with what uh, we've seen in that drilling. Um, and But most of the holes we've, we've drilled recent times have been at the Seaview and Skyline prospects. And what have you disclosed about those two prospects? Have you seen similar style geology, similar style width, similar style mineralization and, and, and depth? Yeah, when we drilled the first program at Seaview, which was uh, probably a year ago now, maybe a bit a bit more than a year, we we did announce that the first results from the first twelve holes that we put into there, and we got some um, some some good encouragement and mineralization starting within a ten to twenty meters below surface. Sulfides going down to maybe a hundred meters seems to be fairly flat dipping. Uh, geologically, it's, it's it's in a, a different um, situation than what we saw at Andover and Ridgeline, which are both steeply dipping and steeply plunging bodies. Um, the Seaview one seems to be much more flat line. Um, I think the best of the intersections we got there was sort of uh, five to six metres at around about two percent nickel. Uh, and we've been we've followed it up. We've done quite a few more holes there now, probably about another dozen. And uh, we, we've yet to go public with that information, but that's not too far away. Okay, good. Tell me a bit about the resource that you've put together at at Andover, um, yep. in terms of you know how advanced it is and uh, where that you know how it manifests itself in in section. Okay, um, certainly. Do you, would you like to have a look at a cross section? Yeah, please. Yeah, let's do that. There we go. So this is the section here. Um, so this is a this is actually a long section. We're looking towards the north. Um, red is the indicated resource category, uh, yellow or orange is the inferred category. Um, there's about 4.6 million tonnes in the, in the total resource, running at about 1.1% nickel plus half percent copper, a bit of cobalt as well. So around about 75,000 tonnes of combined, total combined contained metal within the Andover deposit. It outcrops as a gossam. Um, and quite a large gossan, as I said, you know, it's probably uh, up to a couple of hundred metres by 20 metres sticking out of the ground at surface. But the sulphides don't really st- come into it. They don't start until about 20 metres below surface. And then we just drilled over 100 holes into that. That's all diamond drilling. The drilling spacing is around about 20 metres by 20 metres. So we've got very good understanding of the of the continuity of grade and width. And that's why over 80% of the of this resource is in the indicated category. And we wanted to be able to have it in the indicated category so we can put it into a, a scoping study, apply economic parameters and be able to publicly release information on, on the economic prospects for the deposit. Is it um, so the mineralization? So, uh, is, is it hard rock? You know, is, is it very fractured? I mean, it, uh, t- t- not fractured at all. It is. There are no fractures in it. There's only one. There's a, a fault that runs from sort of upper right hand side to lower left, which offsets it by about five to ten metres. But apart from that, the rock is absolutely quite, it's rock solid. It, it is very, very competent rock. The diamond drilling is swift. You know, when we're diamond drilling in this area, we're drilling 50 to 60 metres in a, in a 12-hour shift. Sometimes we got up to 100 metres in a 12-hour shift. Um, the two holes that uh, Mark Creasy drilled back in 2018, they were RC holes. They were drilling about 10 metres a day. 
the RC drilling just can't get through this hard rock. But the diamond drilling, is, we, we was cutting it like butter and um, we were getting excellent productivity. The mineralisation um, plunges towards the, uh, the, the northwest. Um, it is still open, albeit fairly weaker, on the left-hand side of that section and also on the right-hand side. But at depth, it's still wide open to, to be taken deeper. We just stopped drilling because it was getting quite expensive to uh, to go down that deep. And what are the thicknesses? What are, what are the um, the how, yeah. how thick is this? The, the mineralization in the core of it, in the central part of the deposit, would be between twenty and thirty meters of true width. Yeah, with with uh, the, the total mineralized envelope, and within that, you're going to get high zones of massive sulfides, which might be eight to twelve meters wide. And the massive sulfides are all running two to four percent nickel. Um, around that, where it gets thinner and it's disseminated, it's it's running sort of uh, half to one and a half percent nickel. So the continuity mm. of between the drill holes of both the width and the grade is excellent. So conventional mining um, underground. It'll be an underground, underground. mining operation. And you won't even start with an open pit. You won't. No. You'll, you'll just, so just go straight unlikely. Because if we went down as an open pit, we'd have to put a crown pillar underneath it, and that would sterilise some of the, the sulphide mineralisation nearer the surface. So we, it, with an underground mining operation, we would be able to take this to within 20 to 30 metres of surface. How close is Ridgeline to a resource? And, and, and it looks much skinnier than, than Andover. So is it going to be kind of a uh, an incremental addition to it? Yeah, it will be an incremental addition. They're, they are two separate deposits located about 200 metres apart. Um, but they do; they exist within the same taxidic gabbro horizon. Um, it's just in between the two deposits. Um, the, the the host rocks there, but the sulfides are not. So Ridgeline itself is probably about three hundred and fifty meters long in an east-west direction. It starts at two hundred meters below surface. We it, it's one it's one of the only it's the only occurrence of nickel on, at Andover that we've identified that doesn't stick, come to surface. We found mm. it through doing the um, the the downhole and the surface EM surveying that we did around the Andover deposit. Pointed something out to the to the west, and we went out and drilled it, and we hit it there. So the mineralisation at at Ridgeline is, as I said, it's about three hundred and fifty metres long, but most of that is um, a zones of sort of five to, to ten metres wide, running uh, maybe up to a percent nickel in in disseminated sulphides. But within it, there's three shoots which are a focus for the sulfide deposition and that's those sulfides have have preferentially been deposited into those inside those shoots and those shoots stretch from uh probably maybe 150 to 200 meters below surface down to 500 meters below surface um they're maybe up 70 to 80 meters in an east-west direction they're up to 40 meters in in thickness in places and so the announcements that we put out, for example, today, you know, demonstrated that we've got uh, 30 odd metres and uh, 27 metres of one and a half percent nickel out of the central part of those um, those shoots. So I don't expect um, Ridgeline to be equal to Andover in terms of the uh, the contained metal or the size, but it will be an incremental increase. And particularly attractive is that it will come in at a higher grade. Than Andover does. So you've effectively got three pencil-like structures um, yes. offset by a couple of hundred metres that you can drift across from once you're in underground development. Yeah. You can schedule the mining so you can kind of blend your grade. You can make sure that you've got 
different that's headings right. going. Um, yep. Do you, that's do you exactly see any, right. Do you see any value in um, getting a directional? I'm doing some kind of a mother hole and drilling out with some wedges the deeper sections of Andover. Yes, and that that's something that we're we're actually planning right now. Um, and under the West Australian um, Department of Mines, there's there's a, what they call an exploration incentive scheme, this EIS, uh, where you make an application to do something a little bit different. Um, and it usually involves uh, drilling of a target that has not been tested before. So we put in an application to drill a very large, deep diamond drill hole. We're talking down to maybe 1,500 metres below surface. And they, the government has... Um, awarded us the, uh, a, a grant where they will cover 50% of the cost of drilling that hole. So having having received that grant, we'll actually be doing a very deep hole down there next year, probably, as I said, down to about 1,500 metres, and that'll be the mother hole. And, yes, if we have some success um, in terms of um, downhole geophysics, identifying conductors, or if we actually hit some more mineralisation, we'll be doing daughter holes off that, wedging off that main hole. So a 1,500-metre hole below 500 metres of depth, what, what does that step down by? I mean, that's a hell of a... Yeah, it's, it's a long way down. So we're talking, it's from surface to the bottom of the Andover resource is 550 metres. We're talking about drilling, potentially, we haven't finalised this yet, but potentially we'll drill a hole sub-parallel to the deposit. Rather than trying to drill inside the deposit, we'll drill parallel to it. And and then use the downhole EM to guide us for the uh, the daughter holes that come off it. Okay, wow. So that's work in progress for 2023. Yeah, that's right. Now we've been talking a lot about the nickel. Um, you've got some lithium stuff. Can you? We, we haven't got a lot of time to do it. But can you just kind of summarise uh, where you've got to on the on the lithium exploration? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, we've been exploring and focused on uh, very much on the on the nickel story for the last two years. But probably 12 months ago. Uh, when the when the lithium phase uh, really started to take off, and particularly a lot of companies were identifying lithium in pegmatites, I asked our geological team uh, if there were any pegmatites out there. And uh, at the beginning of 2022, they went out and did some regional mapping and sampling, and they identified quite a few pegmatites outcropping at surface. And so, for the, about the last six months, there's been an intense program of mapping and sampling across the Andover project. Uh, across the entire project area and and through uh, that's involved both remote sensing work and also boots on the ground exploration as well so from the remote sensing which is aerial photography and uh, radiometrics we identified over 500 potential outcrops of pegmatites and uh, the geologists have been out there on the ground they've looked at uh, and confirmed that over 130 of these outcrops uh, of, of potential pegmatites are in fact outcropping pegmatites and there's been a lot of sampling being done and we released some information some results about that last week and we've been getting uh some of the zones which we've sampled have been quite rich in spodumene and we've been getting lithium grades up to over 3.3 percent 2.6 percent lots in the one percent range so this is lithium oxide and uh we've, we've obviously identified something here that is potentially could add a significant new valuable string to the to the bow of the of the end of the project and so we basically we've formed two teams and we've got a nickel team nickel focused team and a lithium focused team and the lithium focused team have been on the ground as i said for the last six months there's some really good looking targets out there um so we just need to fine tune those with more surface work and then we'll be in there drilling 
in the first quarter of next year. Okay. It's it's great fun when you're doing this kind of exploration, which is remote sensing and prospecting and ground truthing, mapping and sampling, because it's a it's a very low cost way of creating value. But uh, now you've got the, uh, the 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 lie detectors or the truth machines, the root, the rotary truth machine about to move in. That's it. Yeah, that's probably going to be in the first quarter of next year. This is a, an area. The Andover project area is situated in the Pilbara region, the West Pilbara, and it's not far away from where Rio Tinto had their uh, issue with the caves. And so it's the same traditional owners in our in our area as was down around um, Rio Tinto's iron ore operations. So we need to be very aware and cognizant of, of doing everything by the book and doing it properly. Uh, so we, we've, over the last two years, we've endeavoured to build really strong relationships and we've succeeded in building really strong relationships with the local traditional owners. Um, and we have in place a heritage protection agreement with the uh, the Nalama people who are the traditional owners. And that uh, that gives us the op- the rights and the opportunities to go out and do exploration. But before we can do anything that disturbs the surface, we have to run um, heritage protect or heritage clearance surveys over the areas where we want to go and build a road or drill a hole and the like. Um, and so far, we've done about six of these surveys, and the the cooperation from the traditional owners has been fantastic. And uh, if they come across an area where they say, look, this is a bit sensitive for us or it's important that you don't disturb it, we, it gets flagged off. We don't go into those areas and uh, and, and we, we operate in the other areas. So most of the project area is, um, is uh, available for us to do our work on. Uh, yeah. Where a lot of the pegmatites outcrop uh, are areas where we've not had the heritage surveys done so far. So that'll be happening over the next few months. And then let's fingers crossed that uh, we don't have any um, sacred sites being identified near those pegmatites and we can go in there and drill in the first quarter of next year. Well, let's let's wrap up with um, your kind of the, the news flow over the next uh, nine, nine months or so, six to 12 months. Yeah, obviously we, the nickel is still very much the focus. So we're still diamond drilling the, the nickel, copper, cobalt, sulphide targets that we've got. We've got um, targets which have been generated through the mapping and sampling and identifying gossens. We've got the geophysical targets. We've got a lot of targets ahead of us that need drill testing. And so that nickel exploration program will be ongoing for, well, it'll be just, it'll be ongoing for as far as we can see and probably drilling for the next 12 months as well. And what, one rig or two rigs? Just the one rig at the moment. We had three diamond rigs working there when we were doing the resource drill out. But when we've pivoted back to just doing exploration drilling on the specific targets, we just want one rig because we don't want to, uh, you know, Fill in the wrong place. The yeah, and um, you know, you're, you you can drill quite quickly. Is does the um, the assay turnaround uh, keep up with the drilling? No, it doesn't, unfortunately. <clears throat> the assay turnaround time at the moment is sort of. Uh, absolute bare minimum would be six weeks, but more likely eight to ten weeks to get our yeah. assays back. However, we are drilling for nickel and copper sulfide mineralization, which is visible in the in the drill core. Mm-hmm. So we can our geologists are uh, experienced enough, and and uh, obviously we've been working here for two years. We know what the sulfides look like in this part of the world, so we can actually have a pretty good uh, guess, if you like, or an understanding of what the grades are likely to run. Plus, we've got the portable XRFs that we can use, which will give us spot readings and to confirm it. But 
the not having the assays does slow us down, or at least it, uh, it means that we can't follow up targets um, immediately. We, we've got to actually do a bit of uh, ground truthing and then um, and then wait for the assays. But you've got the taxitic gabbro, so you've got a very clear geology uh, marker, ge- geological marker, and then you've got the, the metal marker in the form of the sulphides. Absolutely that. And that taxitic gabbro is very, very visible. It's it's completely different from the rocks around it, whether it's other gabbros or whether it's ultramafics. It's very visible at surface. It's uh, It contains all, all of the gossons that we've identified so far. So, yeah, that's very much the focus of our work. Good. So essentially it's exploration results what about the de-risking where are you going to be in the in the uh the 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 study phase during the course of 2023 so when we were drilling at andover in the early days um, you know we're talking probably 18 months to a year ago from now we recognized that there was a good potential for this to actually be developed into an operating nickel mine so we commenced our development studies probably um 18 months ago now and we have been carrying out all of the components of a scoping study over that period. So we've got metallurgy, uh, mine planning, uh, geotechnical work, tailing storage, um, mineral processing design. All of those components have been either completed or are very close to being completed. Um, and then we'll have all of those are being combined into a scoping study, which we hope to be in a position to release publicly probably towards the end of the first quarter of next year. So we'll get the scoping study out and, and let's assume, and given that it has a successful outcome, then we'll be just pushing straight forward into doing either PFS or straight into a definitive feasibility. I like the story of, um, <clears throat> uh, was it Sandfire who got the Degrissa deposit from discovery to production in about five years? And I, I see that you've got a five-year plan for Andover. It would be nice five years. The, uh, the Cosmos mine at Jubilee that we had at Jubilee, we got it into production in three years. Ah. But that was that was in the 1990s, and things were a little different back then. Yeah, and you're not operating in the in the um, northwest Pilbara in the heritage areas, perhaps. Yeah, that's part of it. So, yes, we you know the heritage, the community, the environmental, uh, all of those studies are all ongoing at the moment, and they're they're just as key to a successful project as the technical aspects. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, Tony, thank you very much. It's been a, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, congratulations on the geological success. Um, it's it's slightly frustrating that it's another creasy success. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like damn it. <laughs> yeah, the guy, the guy is good. <laughs> yeah, he's good. <laughs> um, but congratulations to you, and uh, I look forward to seeing the progress as the as the news stories come through. Appreciate it. Thanks for that time, Merlin. It's been a good time. Good uh, interview.